Welcome to episode 445 with uh, my guest Murph. This is a rerun of an episode recorded in 2011. I think it was maybe our second episode ever or maybe our fourth episode very, very early on. Um, the, the month of July here is a best of collection as I'm taking some much, much needed time off. I'll be back next week, our first week in August, be back to releasing new episodes. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. If you've never tried online counseling, you should definitely check it out. I, I really love doing it. It's uh, so nice not to leave my house. My therapist helps me work through a lot of stuff very gently, and uh, she's very wise and compassionate. So uh, if you want to check it out, go to BetterHelp.com mental and then fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor they think is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one. And then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is a good fit for you. And you need to be over 18. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Crazed. It's a new podcast created by the National Mental Health Innovation Center, and it highlights Big new ideas in the world of mental health, from how to transform mental health treatment to prevention and stigma reduction, and the visionaries behind these ideas. Uh, the two hosts are uh, Matt Vogel and Rick Reckadal. Matt is the founder and executive director of the NMHIC, and also a former professional stand-up. And Rick is, uh, or was, the senior executive at DreamWorks Animation, and their guests are familiar with the impact of mental health, both personally and professionally. And you'll find compelling stories, information about cutting-edge mental health technology, and just great dialogue about difficult issues. Guests include policymakers, nonprofit leaders, researchers, technologists, filmmakers, and more. And the ideas and stories presented on Crazed are the kind that you dig. And we'll probably be talking about long after you've heard the episode. So you can find Crazed anywhere you get your podcasts or on crazedpodcast.com. Subscribe and listen today. And uh, here now is the episode from 2011 with my guest Murph. Welcome again to the Mental Illness uh, Happy Hour. Uh, I am sitting here with my friend uh, Murph, who uh, I'm going to call him Murph because I think it would make him more comfortable uh, to just use his nickname than to get into... Uh, I, I think it will be easier for you to answer honestly the questions about your past um, uh, if, if we just go with your, uh, your, your nickname. Um, it's funny because when I met you, uh, Murph, about, what was it, five years ago? Uh, we have a mutual, mutual friend, Jamie, uh, who, who introduced us, and... You're somebody that I, I I I looked at you and I said this guy's been to prison, this guy is not to be fucked with, but there's something about this guy that I really like and I want to get to know. And it's funny because if, here five years later, you're somebody that I feel so safe around, whose company I enjoy so much. Um, I'm sitting here in a house that you share with a, a, a beautiful woman. You guys are both uh, in recovery. You've both been sober. You've been sober for five years, mm -hmm. right? She's yep. been sober for 20 years. You have this beautiful house together. And uh, I was, I was, you were showing me around the house, and I'm in your walk-in closet, and it occurs to me, you used to live in a room no bigger than that walk-in closet in That's prison. It. How many years did you do in prison? 
it's it's around fifteen. I have I had an eight, a a, a five, and a four, and then a couple of little ones uh-huh. for all violations. And, yeah. What uh, were the big ones for? The first one was an attempted murder. The second one was a battery with great bodily injury. And the third one was also, uh, yeah, let's just say, a hands-on crime. Okay. All right. <laughs> Another hands-on crime. Um is it, it, am I safe in saying that, and I think I've heard you say this before, none of your crimes were ever committed against women or children, not that that makes it any better, but for some people, I think there's a line, uh, where, uh, your, 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 your crimes were never of a sexual nature, they were mostly for money to feed your, your drug habit. Is that, is that, right. am I correct in right. that? I don't, yeah. Women and children, were and sex crimes is okay you know below the line okay I, uh i you know i mean i came from the school of if you're gonna take you take from someone who in my twisted head should be able to protect themselves yeah and and, and if they can't yeah well then they shouldn't have what they have yeah you but, know that's how I used to think. I don't yes. think that way anymore. I'm, I'm glad because uh, <laughs> I was I was doing as soon as I started doing this podcast, I thought Murph would be a, a great person to have on this on this podcast because um, he has a history that if you looked at it, you would say this person's uh, either a psychopath or a sociopath because there was seemed to be no empathy towards uh, his victims. He, he he took what he wanted um, and. You started. Was it safe to say by the age of fifteen you were you were uh, committing crimes? I it was more. It was probably sixteen. Okay. From from the age of, you know, from my birth to sixteen, I was in. You know, I mean, I come from a good family. I was instilled with all of the things. And that's the part that blows my mind is is you come from this kind of warm, nurturing yeah. family, and you chose this life of is that the, just the drug addict in you you think that that you i don't how did you i don't know how it happened t- I, take me take me back to your childhood tell me give me give me some snapshots from your from your childhood that you think would help paint a picture for the for the listener to understand well i grew up in a middle class roman catholic hardworking irish uh you know upbringing uh in brooklyn new york and around the new york city area and uh, i had all of the you know all of the things that you're supposed to have growing up there was toys under the tree at christmas there was little league there was uh peewee football um there was church there was cub scouts there was boy scouts there was all of that and uh there was family vacations there was a summer house there was a winter house in the city um it was all pretty normal. It was kind of like a, a 1960s Brady Bunch existence. Mm-hmm. Mom was always home. Dad worked. Um, and, uh, you know, it was pretty normal. There was pets. You know, I got two brothers and a sister. And uh, things were pretty normal while, you know, sports was a big thing for me. I played all sports when... You know, when one ended, another one began. Mm-hmm. It, it was all about the sports. Um, that's what I did. Um, how it all went, I don't know. 
I guess when I started to get a little bit more freedom, and I and I grew up in a neighborhood where I would look out and I'd see uh, older guys in the neighborhood, mm. and I was just drawn to what they were doing. They, they seemed to have power. Yeah, they people had, looked up to them. They were yeah, afraid of them. They had you, cars. They had girls, mm-hmm. and they never seemed to work. Mm-hmm. And my dad would go off to work. He was gone before I would get up in the morning, and he'd come home, you know, at 7 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, you know, those guys, they had jewelry. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I kind of, I didn't grow up wanting to be, you know, despite my upbringing, I didn't grow up wanting to be the policeman, the fireman, the astronaut, the, you know, naval mm-hmm. commander. Yeah. I wanted to be one of those guys. Right. And do you think the the the, the fact that you were small for your age and uh, you know had red hair do you think that made it more alluring to be one of those guys that that you would feel safer being one of those guys well i i absolutely do because it had you know it was a uh i also had a a, a bad speech impediment uh-huh. while growing up so not only did i have the orange hair and the freckles i had a stuttering problem too so i I, I never felt um, comfortable, uh-huh. and I was never included. Yeah. You know, I, I always felt different, and, you know, I mean, you know how kids are yeah. w- when we're young. They're quite cruel. Right. Um, so there was a lot of taunting and a lot of, you know, and I just didn't... Um, at, what, at what age did you uh, become... Uh, because you're, you're, you work out, you're uh, a fit guy, you're muscular, you're somebody that I look at and say, that, guy, that guy's not to be fucked with. At what age did you transition from the kid getting picked on to the guy not to be fucked with? Well, you know, I'm I'm not really sure, and I don't even really recall the years that my that my stuttering problem spanned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that it was it was probably fifth grade through the seventh grade, mm-hmm. and unfortunately for me. I learned during that period that if I couldn't get you to stop mm-hmm. doing what you were doing to me through communication, mm-hmm. I learned very quickly that I could get you to stop if I imposed my will upon you or if you were, you know, that big, if I pick something up and whack you with it. Really? So you, so you became, you went the crazy route. You, you, you kind of said, well, I'll just be crazier than, than everybody and I'll intimidate them, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if it was a conscious thought, but I right. just wanted the teasing to stop so yeah. bad right. that I was willing to do anything to make it stop. You know, it's it, it, it's it, you remind me of a, a friend of mine also from New York who was small for for his age, and he said that his secret was he would just go further than everybody else. He would be at a bar. And if it looked like it was going to come to a fight, he would break a bottle over his own head and say, come on, motherfuckers. And he said, you can't believe how many people that would, you know, that would back down. And and he comes from a a uh, family. He told me a story one time where his uh, some bigger kids had stolen his bike and he came home and he told his grandmother and she said, and and you didn't fight them? And he said, no. She said, why didn't you make them a sandwich too, you faggot? And I was like, wow. <laughs> now I understand the breaking the bottle over the head. But your family wasn't like that. It sounds like your family was supportive. But it was, you know, that pressure of 
being the the kid with the stutter and the red hair and and wanting to wanting that that power so it was it was alluring and that and that seemed like to you the the path to safety or to at least to happiness well i i think this is uh you know i, I mean i i think i figured it out over the years what happened was i i got sprung on the the feeling of of I can get what I want mm-hmm. if I push hard enough, right? And if I, you know, I mean, if I do, you know, and and I learned that I could solve my problems through violence since I couldn't communicate, right? And you know, I mean, that it didn't really work. I mean, it worked in the short. It gave term, you the illusion that you were solving your problems, right? And there was consequences always attached to it. I mean, when I was growing up. I had a, a, a jar on my shelf next to my sports trophies that had teeth in it because every day after school, I, I'd be fighting from people going, uh, 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 and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was just miserable. And there was lots of days that I came home crying, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that they were, you know, and, and back in them days. Whose teeth? Who, other people's teeth? Yeah. <laughs> Children's, you know, you know. The people, but your people your age, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The, the people that were going ah 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 ah, and you just pop them right in the mouth, and their teeth would fall out. Well, or you'd hit them with something, and their teeth would fall yeah, out. Yeah, or they'd get on the ground, and you could stomp them. And back then, I mean, we're talking 1970s in, in the city of New York. It's not like California, where if you point your finger at somebody the wrong way, they're calling the police. Back in New York, a fight between two boys was standard. It was part of the, you know, the program. It, yeah. it, it was, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, and it wasn't lawsuit happy California either, where their parents right. were coming over mm-hmm. saying we're going to take it. You know, it didn't work like that. So no parents ever came over to your no. parents and said your kid knocked my kid's teeth out. No, never. I mean, I was asked to to leave school one time, yeah. um, you know, but for the most part, these things happened. Off school property. Yeah. On the way home. I mean, it was set up during the day. You know, you knew you was going to fight that kid at the end of the day. And all of the school children would go and watch. And it was, you know, and I'd come home and I, you know, and I, me and my mom. How many teeth did you have in the jar? I don't know, you know, but I know that there was, you know, maybe an inch and a half's worth in the bottom of this jar. And I remember coming home and showing my mom. Good. God. The different teeth at times, and I'd laugh and I'd say, "Look, this guy had a cavity in here because there was all, kind, yeah. you know, like there was the front ones and there was the bicuspids and there was the little pointy one here on the side and there was, you know, I, you know, there was all different kinds of." So ones. you were either going to be a criminal or a dentist, one of the two. <laughs> your path was your extraction. Path was, your path was set. Uh, you know, you know. I mean, I even get um, a little warm talking about it because those were bad times for me i mean i i uh you know and i'm sure that those things that happened then uh i carried through my adult years and you know i mean that was a very traumatic time for me i mean i didn't what 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 is the warm feeling about the fact that you were protecting yourself no i think it's the feelings of you mean a good warm feeling or a bad warm feeling? a bad warm feeling oh okay It, it, it it just kind of talking about it, you know, because I don't talk about that often. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was the worst part of my life, that, that couple-year period when kids were just so, you know, mean, mm-hmm. you know. I, I said it was awful. I mean, that, yeah. you know, that probably 
led to my use of drugs because all of a sudden that leveled the playing field mm. and I was included or yeah. the illusion yeah. that's so that funny that you mentioned that because I remember distinctly going uh, freshman year I, I had it with Catholic grade school all my friends were going to the Catholic high school I was tired of uniforms and nuns I said I'm going to go to the public high school thought I'd be able to make friends I couldn't Turns out the only people that would hang around with me were burnouts, so I started smoking weed, and I remember distinctly thinking to myself, these people are just hanging around each other, and me specifically, because I've got drugs. There is a false friendship here that is really subpar, but I'm going to have to accept it because there really isn't anything better for me. Do, yeah. you, do you feel like that, that oh. was something that kind of went through your mind, or, or was the illusion that this is great and this is exciting? I think I I just like the fact that now I was a part of. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was that kid with the stuttering problem. Mm-hmm. Once the drug started, I was accepted by that crew. And then shortly sometime after that, I don't even really recall. I'd have to ask my mom and dad when that happened, that my speech problem went away. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, uh, you know, I didn't really think much about my speech problem until that movie when that guy won the Academy Award, the Shine, King, the King's Speech. Or, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was me at a young age. Wow. Oh my God, that was me. I mean, I seen that movie and I was in the theaters and I started to get that same warm feeling. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a difficult thing, but but the weed and the alcohol just kind of made it all. You know, that rushed over me, and I didn't feel, you know, different. Mm-hmm. I felt like, ah, oh, yes, this is my elixir. Yeah. You know, yeah. now I'm good. Okay, so then what led to beginning to, to commit crimes? Was it just because the, the the group you were running around with, it was those guys that you looked up to? Were those the people that you had started hanging around with? Well, yeah, they. it, it was no secret in the neighborhood that, that I was always fighting. Mm-hmm. So, of course, um, that brought out the other people, and, and everybody knows everybody in the neighborhood. And I used to see these certain guys, and, and I was asked one time, I guess I was 17, and by this time I'm already selling narcotics, and I got me a little name, mm-hmm. and, and I was approached. When you say narcotics, what, heroin? Uh, no, it was cocaine, weed, mm-hmm. mescaline, mm-hmm. you know, smaller type things that mm-hmm. at at that time well the cocaine wasn't small it was jumping at that time um and, and you were dealing small quantities large yeah, quantities small quantities yeah and i was approached by this guy who i had seen around and he asked me did i want to do something a little bigger mm-hmm. and then we went to this bar and we sat down and he started to talk to me and uh, he said look he says if you get in here he says you're in the major leagues. He says, you know, things will change for you. And I was like, wow. You know, because growing up, I think unconsciously, I had always, you know, like I said, I didn't want to be an astronaut or anything like that. I wanted to be one of them. And being in a crime syndicate had a certain, mm-hmm. you know, uh, attraction to me. Yeah. And... uh when he asked me, did I want to get in, and I was like, well, yeah, I want to get in. And then I went home and I talked it over with my brother, and he said... Older brother, younger yeah, brother? Yeah, older brother. He says, you don't want to get in that, Jimmy. And I said, 
hey, I says, things will change for me. You know, and I was always the one who had to defend myself, and I knew that if I got on this team, now all of a sudden, I am somebody. Mm -hmm. Whereas for all those years, I wasn't anybody. I was just this little redheaded kid with a stuttering problem mm -hmm. who had to fight his whole way and, you know, would go home crying some days. Mm -hmm. Here was a chance for me to turn it all around and be somebody, which was, you know, now... You know, that I think about it 30 years later, mm -hmm. you know. It, uh, Half of it spent in jail. It was a lie. Yeah. You know, so when they came to me and asked me, you know, and, you know, and of course I was like, well, how is this going to work? I, I, I can't possibly get in because I'm an Irishman. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working on, on a crew and they called me a Tritalian, mm -hmm. you know, because pretty much that's who I hung out with. Um most of my friends were Italian. Uh, you know, we were in an Italian-Irish neighborhood in New mm -hmm. York. So it's just what we did. There was numbers being run and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, similar to what you see in that movie, A Bronx Tale, mm -hmm. with Robert De Niro. I mean, yeah. I, I can relate to that story yeah. a whole lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I had a penchant for violence. And I can tell you that um, not only psychologically did it, uh, appear to solve my problems, but but I kind of enjoyed it and got off on the the I don't know the power surge, the rush, the you know the and, false respect. Yeah, all yeah. of that. And then when I got with these guys, one of the first things that this uh, guy told me, he says, "You know what?" He says, "You don't ever have to fight again." He says, "As long as you have." I think he said 20 cents because at that time uh, uh, it was 20 cents to make a pay phone call. Mm -hmm. It, it might have been a dime. Was it a dime? Yeah. It was either a dime or 20 cents. And he said, all you need to do is make a phone call. And I was like, really? And then I was given this one bar that was mine. And, you know, I was, you know, and really, I mean, they were just setting me up. I mean, I didn't know it, but I was mm -hmm. being used, mm -hmm. you know, but I thought I was somebody and, you know, I bought in. Right. You know, and I was all good with it. You know, I mean, I was, there was little perks involved and, you know, the word got around the neighborhood. Hey, you know who, you know, Murph was hanging out with and, you know, and, you know, I'd be on this side of the ball with, you know, other important people, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just, you know, my, my brother was like, I, I asked him after I had gotten in. Um, as far as I could get in for an Irishman, I came home and I asked him, I says, hey, Tom, I says, I can get you in if you want to get in. And he said, he said the smart thing. He was my older brother. Mm -hmm. He said, why do I need to get in if you're in? Ha! And I said, wow, you know, and that's, wow. that's, that's how that went. So when did uh, your, your plan begin to uh, start backfiring uh, on you? God, it didn't take long. Uh, it, it was, you know, I don't even, I don't know specifics here because it's a, a time in my life that was a, a big blur. Mm -hmm. you know, of course, I'm under the influence, you know, this this whole time. And, and, and uh, did you, was heroin ever a drug for you? Yeah, but it, we only used heroin. I mean, it was the white stuff. We used to call it doogee back in them days, and we used to only sniff it to come down from the cocaine. Mm. cocaine. So cocaine was your major drug of choice? Well, it's what 
it was the major drug that I started out with. I mean, I don't consider weed and mescaline and right. mushrooms and all that stuff. You know, that was just like hors d'oeuvres. Mm-hmm. You know, the main ones was the cocaine, the heroin, the mm-hmm. methamphetamine. Those was your meal. Right. You know, the rest <laughs> of it was hors d'oeuvres. Right. You know, <laughs> little, little stuff in the candy dish, some mushrooms, some mescaline, some acid. That was just, you know, makeup, you know, yeah. to... Um, and, and it was cocaine, and we were freebasing it back then. I mean, this is when you couldn't even buy a rock on the street. You know, right. they, you know, there was no such thing. So this so, was this was the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Then, yeah, we the were, Richard Pryor set yourself on fire years. Right. Yeah. You know, and it was three hundred dollars an eight ball, twenty eight hundred dollars an ounce. I mean, it was very, expensive, very very expensive yeah. at that time. It was the time of Studio Fifty Four mm-hmm. and the Mud Club and CBG. Were you ever providing hot. drugs to those people? Um, I provided drugs all over. I, you know, I, I was sent many times in a limousine to Atlantic City mm-hmm. to deliver narcotics. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't use the names, but let's just say there was at least three big Motown acts mm-hmm. that that I uh, um, handed off drugs to. Um, there was a lot of. There's a lot of people in that circle. You'd be surprised. I mean, yeah. I, I was always surprised. Yeah. I was like, who? Yeah. I was like, really? Yeah. I was always surprised. So one of the one of the uh, parts of your past that fascinates me is the bank robbery. Um, how many how many banks have you uh, have you robbed? I've only I walked into one, and one was burglarized. Oh, so just two? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because well, I, 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 I thought it was like no, no. this history of uh, no, no, of no, bank no. robberies. Uh, no. Walk me through uh, both of them and, and the setup, the planning, what you were feeling, what was going through your mind, well, all I of can, that. I can tell you this: the 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 main feeling was fear and terror. I was scared every single time. So it wasn't your idea. You were part of a crew that right, was going to do right, it. Right, right, right. Okay. And what was your role in the robbery? Um, in in the walk-in robbery, the door was my responsibility. The front door. Yeah. Two uh, two other guys handled the other stuff because one guy was brought in from Texas and he had a history of doing these things. Mm-hmm. So it was him and his his henchmen and me. I was the new guy. And the guy out in the car was the new guy. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the movies. Yeah, it was training. And the and the guy in the car is the fuck up, right? Wow. That's what it always is in the <laughs> movies. He's you know looking at his watch or you know he he is up too late the night before and he falls asleep in the getaway car. Well, they're always gonna kill the guy in the movies who yes. makes the least amount of money first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to keep the stars around. Right. Uh, the star is never the getaway driver. Right. Unless it's the Fast and the Furious or yeah. something like that. So uh, so you're at the door and you're guarding the door. And what what are you supposed to do? Uh, you know what? They, if, if shit goes down, are you supposed to shoot people? or What, what do well, they tell you? What they tell me and what I was willing to do was always two different things. I mean... I wanted to do what they wanted to do, and I wanted to be what they wanted to be, but I wanted to minimize, you know, I didn't want to do, you know, I, I wasn't a psychopath. I just, you know, I mean, I, I it, you know, it was um, fun and exciting, and it was a rush, mm-hmm. but with as little 
collateral damage as possible. You know, I mean, well, I would think 99% of criminals feel that way too. And that's probably what they tell themselves. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people that, that commit crimes or are, uh, engaging in behavior that is, uh, immoral, they, they kid themselves in saying, I don't, you know, it's not my intention to do this. They judge themselves by their intentions and not by their actions. And that's how I think a lot of times we, for me, I lied to myself for years by saying, well, it wasn't my intention, you know, to do this, to, to be a right. fuck up, to be an asshole or a drunk or, you know, lie or cheat or, you know, do, do whatever. But, you know, you, you, you find yourself sometimes, um, not, not living up to your in- intentions and cut, and cutting yourself some, uh, yeah. Some slack instead of really taking a good hard look at uh, at who you who you've really become. Well, well, I would go in hoping that it would go easy and mm-hmm. it would go well. And did um, it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God for that. You know, because my my life and my career could have been. I mean, I might not. I mean, I am so blessed to to just be sitting here talking about this in in this. Uh, house and in this life that I lead now it's just it's an absolute blessing but um I would hope that it would go well but at the same time I was willing to do whatever it took Mm -hmm. to succeed at the mission sure you know I mean you know I mean I I was always able we're going to pause uh pause for a second I, I was always able to compartmentalize my I guess my feelings, uh, you know, and I always, my mantra was, uh, it's business, it's nothing personal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dog snoring is just killing me. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad she's she's comfortable. I mean, this is really... Uh, this is hard for you to talk about. Well, I haven't talked about it in, in, in this kind of detail in, in a long time. It's It's part of... I mean, have I confessed to God and done all of that? Yeah, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely different. Mm-hmm. Um, th- you know, 30 years later, um, at, at that time, um, those guys were like my heroes and, and my role models. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to be like them and I wanted to ascend this criminal ladder. And I wanted to be the best possible criminal that I could be. And I wanted the reputation. And I wanted the girls, and I wanted the mm-hmm. money, and I wanted the cars, and I knew that I was only going to live to 35, and I was good with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, have have I shed a lot of tears um, um, behind the things I did when I was young? I absolutely have. Mm-hmm. Um, am I sorry for it all? Yeah. Um, sorry enough to go and. Uh, throw myself on the mercy of the court absolutely not yeah so you know i guess that discounts all of it i guess i'm really not sorry um you know i don't i don't know if that's necessarily uh the the case i could i I could be wrong but I, i look at you and i see somebody uh who has turned their life around and is of use to society now, whereas they were a cancer on society. You're sober now, and you know you're 
I, I see you inspire people uh, who are struggling uh, to to get sober, and you show people that it, it it's never too late to to turn your life around and uh, and become a person that you thought you could never be because uh, I can't picture you doing these things. I can intellectually because you know you got the tough street guy voice from New York, but. You know, the Murph that I know, I know you talking about your girlfriend and how beautiful your life is together and how you want to be a better man for her and how when your neighbor bitches about the hedges that you hold your tongue instead of, you know, not only do you not pull a gun out and not threaten them, you don't even lose your temper around them. And to me, that's a person who has value in society because you can inspire other people and and say you know what you can be a a, a decent upstanding citizen and it doesn't mean that you're that you're a punk and you can live with yourself as long as you become of use to society i think and, and maybe i'm wrong here but if you hadn't started helping people and being an inspiration to them by helping other guys who are trying to get sober. Do you think that you yourself would, would, would be able to live with yourself? Do you think you'd go back to doing drugs or committing crimes? Um, well, I know if I didn't admit my wrongs, yeah. uh, you know, and, 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 and try to, you know, leech them out of my system and, you know, a- admit to them, and tell somebody else about them, uh, you know, because keeping those secrets is difficult. Yeah, you know, it's difficult. I mean, it's got to eat. It's got to eat at you. You get good at it for years and years and years, and you you know repress it so much, and 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 you push it down there, and it's easier with drugs and alcohol when you're pouring that kind of stuff on it. Mm-hmm. But but that you, catches up to you eventually. Yeah, when you take right. away the drugs and alcohol, then you have to deal with all of yeah. this stuff. Um, so what 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 would you tell? Uh, the chances are probably rare that there's a, a, you know a psychopathic drug addict listening to this podcast right now. But what would you say to a a kid? It's maybe sixteen, seventeen. He's starting to run in those circles. He's got a little voice inside of him that's saying this is headed someplace bad, but he doesn't know what else to do. What advice would you give him? Because he's getting off on the power of it, and and maybe he's feeling picked on, he's feeling powerless, uh, and, and and he doesn't he doesn't know where to to turn. Is there anything that that you would say if you let's say you had a little brother that looked like he was following in your in your shoes? What would you what would you tell him? Hmm. Um, Pull out a gun and threaten him? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know it. Whatever I would say probably wouldn't work because when you're, you know, for me, yeah. when I was that young, the the peer pressure and the, you know, I mean, only only after I, you know, got a little older and I learned from these mistakes and I was able to look back and and say, good Lord, what did I do all that for it? You know, that has enabled me, you know, to make the choices that I make today because back then Mm -hmm. i i didn't believe what i was doing was inappropriate Mm -hmm. or you know incorrect my morals had just disappeared with 
with drugs and you know i mean so mm -hmm. you know what would i tell somebody who was heading down the same path that i headed down well i'd probably start out by telling them you're making a mistake mm -hmm. you know everything you think is good right now is you know you know you may mm -hmm. not you know you may not be as lucky yeah as i am do you think describing uh prison life in detail to them just describes the the shitty parts of prison life in, in in detail, if you would. The shitty parts of prison life, as opposed to the great parts. <laughs> the shitty parts of prison life. Well, first off, would be no females. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is sex available, you know, dependent on mm -hmm. you know who you are and you know um, you know what you're willing to live with. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to elaborate on that, um, or are you not comfortable? Well, you know, I mean, uh, the, there's sex going on in prison. You can believe that. Yeah, I think um, everybody knows that. Most of it is willing. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is that saying that uh, uh, if you bend them over and put a Playboy book on their lower back, every asshole looks the same. <laughs> so... You know, I, you know, uh, um, you know, I mean, you know, some might have a little bit more hair than others. <laughs> I mean, I ain't never seen a female with a hairy asshole, but there's razors, <laughs> you know, um, other bad parts. Well, you push your tray along the chow line and you get whatever lands on it. You know, yeah. there is no menu. Mm -hmm. Um, other bad parts, the politics for me some of the politics you know you don't agree with them but but when you're but you got to stick with your yeah. with your race because that's a it's a survival mechanism in prison right it's right you don't choose whether or not you're going to hang out with the white guys you're there there's no other option it's well no, am, I, am i wrong in that yeah no i mean you can choose who you want to hang out with um but if you don't hang out with your own mm -hmm. you'll look down on by your own mm -hmm. you know and 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 my personal opinion is if you're white and if you hang out with the blacks, you're not getting the full black experience either right. because you're not black. Right. They know it. We know it. Mm -hmm. You're not getting any love from us because we're thinking you're a race traitor. Right. You know, I mean, f for us, someone's probably going to get you. Right. You know, you know, because you make, you know, the mentality in there, God, I mean, I, you know, all of these things. You know, the crime, the jails, all of this. I, I have trouble talking about it today for for the simple reason of it, uh, I am so far removed mm -hmm. from that today that, you know. How, and, and But you've also only been out of prison for, what, five years? Right. But spiritually, you're so far removed from it. Right. It, talk about the importance of a, of a spiritual belief uh, in in your life if you can or is that is that difficult for you to 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 talk about um well i'm not uh you know i have a spiritual life today um it's not as good as i'd like it to be um no i really can't you know i mm -hmm. i really can't talk about that in in depth i mean i i feel it mm -hmm. and i know it exists in my life mm -hmm. um you know but can i um, tell you or, or your listeners about right. it. 
no, I mean, I have one. I know it exists. It's with me every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk to him every day. Um, but I, I always had a concept of God. I mean, I was mm-hmm. raised Roman Catholic. I mean, I went to church every single Sunday until I was old enough to say, nope, I'm not going Sunday morning. Oh, isn't that the greatest? Because there's a football game on. Isn't that the greatest? <laughs> well, for me, I started getting high and, and uh, instead of going to CCD, and that was the best trade-off in the world because uh, while I believe in God, uh, you know, organized religion was always, uh, for me, Catholicism, the, the, that God was just too much of a vengeful uh, God for me to wrap my head around and to, and to feel loved by. And uh, it, I, I think for a long time, I let that definition of God push me away from uh, believing that there is something out there. Now, I, you know, I don't believe that there is a conscious entity up there with a beard, you know, saying this person's right. going to go here. I believe in, in, in energy in the universe that we can either ignore and have a more difficult life and swim upstream, or we can align ourselves with it by listening to our conscience and have a much more fluid, easy life. That that to me is my my concept of 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 God. But and and I guess the reason I'm saying this is I don't want to alienate people who are listening to this podcast and say, oh, this is going to be a religious uh, a, a podcast. It you know that is that is not my intention you know i'm i'm probably prejudiced against organized religion um to to a degree that i need to be more open-minded towards it uh, i still have some bitterness uh, uh, towards uh, catholicism um but you know that's that's my own issue but i think they're all i think they're all the same they're different doors leading into the same room which is aligning yourself with the universe you know, so if, if people get it through church, I think that's awesome. If you get it through uh, yoga or meditation or you know what, whatever, um, as I, lo- I think that's all. As long as you believe in something, I mean, something uh, greater than your, your right. yourself in the pursuit of your own pleasure. Right. Uh, that I think in in our society, I think it is one of the biggest dead ends. Is we think that if we just directly pursue our own pleasure at the expense of other things and other people, that that's okay and there will be more pleasure. But what we find out is we're going against the grain of the universe because the universe wants us to think about other people. And then the byproduct of that is that we get to experience not only pleasure but peace of mind and the freedom that comes with believing that we're leading a good life and we're we're good, honest people. And I think that's one of the reasons that I that I like you so much is I see you live in that and it's such a miracle. It it to me it's a proof that there there's there's an energy in the universe that can do amazing things if you choose to learn a new way of life, be vulnerable, open up, talk about the bad things that you did to another uh, human being. And and try to think about try to think about other people. You know, let's look at let's look at this woman that's in your life. Talk a, a little bit about your life here in this in this uh, beautiful beautiful house. Well, I met this I met this woman probably three years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, she is just 
she's an angel. Um, she knew that I was uh, under construction at at the time. You were a fixer upper when <laughs> yeah. she when she found you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, but she what? must be into tank tops. I'll tell you that much because. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think the first time I saw you wear sleeves was at a wedding, and I'm, and I'm not even sure, you know, I wasn't even sure you were going to put sleeves on for that. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. Uh, you know what? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I was definitely a fixer upper, but I think what she saw is the same thing that most of my friends today see, and that's the person that, or the, 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 the product of ages one through sixteen. Yeah, I was raised in a good home with all the morals, the principles, and all of those things that a normal, you know, adult, you know, mature human being should have. And then from sixteen to forty-four, I made my own choices, totally discounted all of that stuff, the nurturing that I had learned in the nest, and now that the drugs and alcohol have been gone for five years in these five years, I have reverted back mm -hmm. to those things that I learned from one to 16. That's what she sees. That's what I believe my friends see today. Um, I just took a little vacation, you know, you know, I, I it's funny cause your, your previous vacations, you know, used to be behind bars that's how right. that's how the criminals refer to us i took a little little six-year yeah. vacation yeah yeah uh, you know I, I mean you can go to my parents house and look around the living room and there's photos you know and they're chronologically you know and there's christmases and there's oh at this wedding and this and you know and there's the baby pictures and, and it starts and there i am i'm an all you know, growing up, and I'm on an elephant in this one, and I'm in this, da la la la. I'm next to my brother there, and then when we start to be, I guess, when we start to be twenty, twenty something, you go one wall in the house, and there's all the pictures, and I'm not there. Wow. And then the next wall in the house, I'm not on that one either, but everybody else is. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you would think that I had died. Yeah. And then finally I've resurfaced and um now I'm on, you know, so that's where I I I took a vacation and and I wasn't me. Yeah. For all those years. The true you. Right. And now I'm um, I'm back to who I am. That's what she saw in me because there was no way that I could land a woman like this. Right. You know, Do if, it. she would have sensed yeah. instantly. Well, she sensed that um, that there might have been a somewhat checkered past. <laughs> oh, is that the understatement of the century? You think the it, prison, the prison tattoos, and the uh, and the hardened look in the eye? You think? Uh, yeah. Well, she she told me I had a terrible haircut, and she says you dress penitentiary chic. <laughs> that's that's what she called it, and I was thinking to myself. Did this bitch just tell me that I got a fucked up hairdo and that she doesn't like the way I dress? Yeah. You know, and that just made her more attractive to me because I, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't used to being talked to like that. Yeah. Um, but she's an angel. Um, you, you know, when I met her, I had never been in a healthy relationship. Yeah. All of my relationships were very superficial, you know, uh, 
probably because it was all about you and what you were getting. Yeah, and it it wasn't a relationship. I mean, I don't know what the time uh, constraint is to you know for yeah. to for it to be a relationship, but most of them were you know I'm I'm, I'm sure there were some of them sh- short lived relationships where I'd be hard pressed to remember your name. Yeah. Because I wasn't really caring mm-hmm. what your name was. I was caring about one thing, and then as soon as I, you know, as soon as that happened or I got that, it was see you later, bye. I got something to do. Yeah. You know, um, uh, back in those days, I couldn't have had a healthy relationship with a house plant. Yeah. Um. You know, um, she's 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 awesome. I love yeah. her to death. As, as a matter of fact, um, in these three years that we've been together. She told me it would be like this. I didn't believe it when she first told me this. Mm-hmm. She said, it will get better. And I was like, what do you mean it'll get better? You know, and she's right. Yeah. Every day it seems to get better. And I've never been in anything quite as feely mm-hmm. as this. You know, I mean, this is, you know, and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm new at this too. You know, she teaches me all about these things. And, uh, God bless her. I mean, she's been a she's been a great influence in my yeah. life. Um, she's she's quick to point out in a very nice way um, some other things that she thinks I should work on yeah. to you know to better my character. And she says them in in such a way where I don't bow up and get crazy. I you know it it might hurt or sting at the time she says it, but I I usually don't fight. Mm-hmm. You know, fight her too much on it because my personal opinion is if is if most of the people in this world acted the way she acted, it would be a really really cool place to live. Wow. Um, I I believe that about her so much that you uh, trust her instincts. Right. That yeah. that when she convinced me that I need to vote, and I told her, I says, vote. I don't I don't need. What do I need to vote for? No matter who you pick. They're lying to us, and then when they get in there, the status quo in Washington is going to be what it is, and nothing yeah. ever gets done, so why do I need to vote? But she convinced me to vote, and I believe in her so much that I let her punch my yeah. thing, too, because I figure whoever she's voting for, you know, based on the person she is, you know, is is wouldn't, good enough for me. It would make a nice world. Wouldn't that be funny if that's what you got arrested for, was letting her vote for you? <laughs> You know, you know, uh, I, you know, I hope I never get arrested again. I mean, I, you know, I mean, um, today I but care. You also, but you also haven't, you haven't committed any crimes since you've been sober no. in five years. The closest, um, the closest you came was kicking a guy in the balls that, that, that challenged you, uh, uh, on a, the, the freeway. Yeah. I had a fight, uh, I had a fight on the freeway, uh, and I did go into someone else's living room, Uninvited because they owed me money from a job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a legitimate job, yeah. a legal job. Yeah, yeah right. Construction. Um, do do I think that's of a criminal nature? No, I don't. I I thought I was well within my rights, but yeah. what what I think and what the law thinks is two different things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, 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 no. I don't. You know, I don't. I don't break the laws anymore. You know, I mean, there was a time in my life, a lot of years where I thought it was impossible to go through a day and not break the law. I was like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, because the life I was leading, drugs and, and violence and crime, 
it was it was a necessary evil. I mean, you know, you carried a gun every day. Yeah. Um, today, no, I don't do crimes. Uh, I walk when the sign says walk. Um, I stop when it says stop. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I really kind of lead a Ward Cleaver kind of life. I mean, I got a 14 year old, not mine. Uh, he's hers. And, uh, but you're a role model for him. I hear you talk about him and, and, uh, it's funny because you're, you're closer to him than my own father was to me. The, the stuff that you share with him and the, the way you nurture him and the way you uh, guide him and the interest that you take in his life, you know, which just shows to me, you know, f- family, and it's kind of a cliche, but, you know, family is, is is who you choose, not who you're tossed in with. Well, not that I don't love my family, but, it, you know. It's a, it's a funny twist, what happened here, because I... I had a good childhood, and then, you know, when I got to be 16, 17, I put that on hold, and I went and I did my own thing, whereas this uh, kid that I have now, he lost his father. His, his, his father wasn't a criminal. His father was an alcoholic, and his father was clean for a little while and then decided to have just one drink, thought having one drink was a good idea. And that one drink turned into many drinks, and those many drinks turned into a blackout, and then he, he carjacked a, a RV, and then he was on one of those TV shows going through roadblocks and everything. Long story short... Doesn't, doesn't he know there is no worse car, getaway car, than an <laughs> RV? He should go to jail just for that. Well, I mean, when you're on a blackout, yeah. you know, I mean, who knows what anybody's thinking. Mm-hmm. But long story short... He ended up killing two people. He got 40 to life and a life sentence in California. Uh, I don't think anybody has paroled ever wow. from a life sentence in California, at least not in the last 30 years. So he's never coming home. So that kind of makes me, you know, that whole picture kind of makes me believe that this isn't an accident. Yeah. You know, me meeting my girl, and then me being tossed into this, who had a good childhood, mm-hmm. so and, and who had good parenting, mm-hmm. despite my adult decisions mm-hmm. for all those years. Um, here's here's this youngster who has had a good childhood, minus a role model. Yeah. And then here I come, who knows how to, um, who knows how to teach this kid yeah. from the age of zero to 17 yeah. and he's only 14 yeah. so i can teach him what i know because i know something about that and you know how to spot a bullshitter because you're well you know yeah don't you, you can't bullshit a bullshitter and i was a good student as, as a child you know you know my dad saw to it yeah you know i mean you know the Despite my track record, you would think that I, you know, that I had bad parenting. I did not. Yeah. You know, I have four, uh, three siblings, and they're, you know, good citizens. They get citizenship awards. Yeah. Um, me, I never got one of those. Um, you know, but. Well, you're heading in the right direction. The game ain't it. over yet. I might, yeah. you know, I might get one here. Well, dude, I want to thank you so much for uh, for opening up and uh, letting me. Uh, <sighs> Let me interview you. I know some of this was uh, was was hard, but I think uh, people will, uh, at the very least, find it interesting and entertaining, and uh, and hopefully somebody listening out there will uh, 
will hear this and uh, and become inspired by you. But you know, you've uh, this may sound cheesy, but you you inspire me, and I and, and I'm proud to call you my friend. So thanks, buddy. Well, thanks, Paul. It was nice being here. All right, now get that fucking pug out of my face. <laughs> And don't forget to go to the website, mentalpod.com. You could also type in mentalillnesshappyhour.com, but uh, you might get writer's cramp. So uh, go check it out. Uh, read the message board, post, ask questions, answer questions, take a survey, get crazy, or stare at the wall with your jaw open. <laughs>